Welcome back, everyone. Adam Andrews with you once again. It's time for another edition of Radio Read Along, and we've reached an auspicious moment in our journey through Charles Dickens' classic Great Expectations. A milestone, if you will. Yes, an auspicious milestone, <laughs> because this is the very last meeting on this great novel. So we're going to wrap things up. We're going to provide a summation. I assume that everyone who is tuning in has heard all of the recorded episodes and has reached the end of this glorious novel. And so now it's time to ask the Center for Lit crew what in the world we thought of it. So without further ado, what'd you think of it? Ian? I love this. I love this story. This is one of my all-time favorite books. Give me a thematic reason why. Oh, man. We're going to jump right to the end without doing a little narration first? I, I mean, suppose we can do some narration. It's I'm going to come up that, for sure. But... Narration. Narrate. Narrate. Well, see, it... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should let the person who has recently read it out loud narrate for us. <laughs> well, the great, the great thing about the last section of this story is obviously all of the threads of narrative start to get woven together. And Dickens does what Dickens is famous for doing, making a tapestry out of all these threads that appear to be unrelated at the beginning of the story. And we find out the conclusion of the matter and how all things are actually from the same source as it were it's actually it was it was one story in the beginning mm. before we came along and then it becomes many seemingly unrelated stories when we are introduced to all the characters and then at the end we find that everything is related which i think is one of the great things about dickens there are no insignificant characters right no insignificant characters yeah yeah mm. so anyway in the last section what are the main themes that are coming together uh pip is um lured out onto the marshes by by Orlick, who wants to do him in because of an old jealousy. Um, I feel like that kind of puts a period on Pip's guiltiness mm. that right before, because we haven't heard from Joan a really long time, and before any of that is allowed to happen, Dickens has to have this moment where Pip's past comes back to haunt him in a major way, and his guilt comes back. So you said a minute ago, we haven't heard from Joe in a really long time. Yeah. And so the, the Orlick scene at the end brings that period of Pip's life back into focus for a minute. Yeah, yeah, I think so. In case we've forgotten, this all started because of Pip. That is really interesting. And Orlick in this scene says, oh, this is the part where he says, oh, you enemy. Yeah. I'm, you've been against me my whole life. And we wonder, what does he mean? And then we remember that Pip has maybe, maybe doesn't deserve all of the blame for Orlick's, you know, terrible career but we remember his own self-centeredness and his own disregard of people joe in addition to orlick and then what does orlick actually accuse him of killing his sister ah yes or being complicit in that in but in kind of a weird way though um, yeah circumstantially but i mean i think it's symbolic if not literal mm. yeah so you're, ta you're, you're talking about pip's guiltiness in general and a lot of that comes down to sort of a vague sense in his mind that he has transgressed some sort of uh law and it appeared to me the last time we had this conversation that the law that he's transgressing in his mind is one that he also made up off the top of his head namely that someone who has money or someone who is a gentleman wouldn't be in any way associated with wrongdoing of any kind mm -hmm. and that since then he has been holding himself up to that standard. Mm -hmm. And in areas of his life where he feels like he's meeting it, he spends a lot of time dwelling on himself and his accomplishments. And in areas of his life where he feels as though he isn't meeting it, he 
thrusts it under and makes sure that it doesn't come up often. I love the scene uh, between him and Herbert Pocket when they're going over their affairs and trying to set everything in order. Mm-hmm. Not much ordering being done there. So I wonder how we see Pips. Uh, what do you mean, Emily, when you say that this is a culmination of his guiltiness here yeah. in the last scene? Draw the threads together for me. Well, the thing that Orlet keeps calling him is Wolf. He says, you enemy, and he calls him Wolf mm-hmm. over and over again, which I think is a pretty descriptive way of Pip's behavior in in previous times. Mm. He was a loner, and he was looking out for number one. I mean, and obviously he's sympathetic. He's had a tough upbringing, but the result was that he was a wolf. Mm. He was out for his expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm. And... and- we quibble as to whether he's guilty of, of Orlick's career, as I mentioned before, but we don't quibble um, with the implication that he's also been a wolf towards Joe. Absolutely, and yeah. And towards Biddy and towards all of his home life. Interesting. And truth be told, he doesn't quibble with that either. He feels guilt. Right. Right. His conscience is acutely troubled by that whole thing. I think it's interesting what you just said, Ian, about, about um, that idea of Pip feeling guilty and feeling like he's transgressed a law and the question of whether the law he's transgressed is a law of his own making or is it a law of the universe? Is it a law that Dickens expects his readers to, to hew to as well? I, I wonder if there's a, there's both of those things going on really because we, we see, we, we hold Pip guilty for his treatment of Joe and Orlick is doing us a service by reminding of it, as you say, Emily, but isn't it, isn't it also true that what you said a minute ago, Ian, that Pip is, measuring himself still by the standard of gentlemen that Dickens is at pains to debunk undermine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really true. I think when, when Magwitch shows up and lays his claim to Pip, the reason that Pip immediately, and Emily did a great job of talking about this in our last episode, I think um, the reason that he feels so revolted is that somebody's laying a claim to telling him who he is. Yeah. And he's very comfortable being who he has decided to make himself. And he's still waiting around for some ultimate verdict to come in and actualize his gentlemanliness. But he has been, as far as he can tell, living the life of a gentleman. And the idea that it comes from somebody's CD is more than he can bear. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, um, even though it's an impactful scene, it's just a shadow of the comeuppance he's got waiting for him when he sees what he's done to Joe here in the last couple of chapters and the full weight of his immaturity is borne in upon him. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, that's true. He needs his eyes open to his immaturity, but on the other hand, he's been feeling guilty throughout the whole book. Yeah. This is more of the same where that's concerned. Right. I think that's one of the things that makes him so sympathetic. Don't you? Mm -hmm. Because when the story starts, you know, the very first picture we get of him is sitting on the tombstones, looking at his parents' gravestones mm-hmm. and all Wife of, their, of the above. other little siblings. <laughs> yeah, like little lozenges, remember? The lozenges. I love the lozenges. To kind of divine um, who he is. Who am I? Yeah. And, you know, this issue of identity looms really large, and I think it, it resonates. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a human question. Who are we? What makes us who we are? And he gets it wrong. Hmm. He thinks identity is self-created. And, um, you know, sets about to try to create himself as opportunities arise and he's gotten everything backwards. Okay. But here's a question though. And this is, this is a question for Dickens that you guys, somebody will have to jump up and answer it on his behalf. Um, is he, is he guilty as he thinks he is in Joe's eyes over the course of the whole story? Or is it the guilt that he feels that prevents him from relating to Joe and from taking advantage of that relationship and being secure? 
In other words, has have his actions as a young boy in the beginning of the story when he's literally a child. Well, let's not forget. I mean, this he starts as a small child. Yeah. Does the do the things that he feels guilty for for the rest of the novel um, actually label him a transgressor in Joe's eyes? I th- I think that's an interesting question. And in order to to give it a good answer, I think you have to to look at the story as a novel for just a minute and realize the narrative voice that Dickens has chosen because he's not at any point in the narrative, a little child. It's the adult Pip um, looking back on his childhood and evaluating from his, his perspective of maturity, morally and every other way, evaluating the state of his own heart. And so mm. we can give him credit for knowing the state of his own heart because it was him back in those days. Right. So I think there's a li- there is, we have to agree with the narrator when he's describing young Pip. And at, at times the narrator says, I disregarded him in my heart. Uh, you know, my self-interest was the was the driving force. And he says it with such poignancy. Chagrin always. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I wonder if we, as readers listening to it, an adult narrator looking back, are obliged to see it his way. Yeah, I think that's true. But then the same narrator is the person who gives us the end of the story and gives us Joe's actual real perspective on mm. Pip. Ever the best of friends. Yeah, ever the best of friends. Right. I, um, but don't you think that that... Let's not dwell on that line or I'll start sobbing. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's what I was going to say, though. It, it, that, that statement is just so full of grace. It doesn't mean that Pip hadn't wronged him. It means that he forgives Pip and it doesn't matter. Right. right. It has to be true that Pip was guilty for that scene to be powerful. In the yeah. Oh, yeah. I was never questioning his guilt. I was, I was wondering if, if um, the difference between guilt and conviction is something that really directs oh, the flow of the narration. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, maybe I'm dragging because in he, some because outside he was, idea. Because he was just a kid. Yeah, he was just a kid. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I can look back on my own childhood and see things that I'm still ashamed of to this day. And as an adult, I look at him and I go, that's hilarious. No one of the other people in that room that you remember so clearly have thought about that ever again since it happened. Right. I mean, there's, there's no way that was a big deal. Right. But you have and and Pip does. Mm-hmm. And, and it affects the, the way you look at yourself profoundly. And I think in this novel, it makes the novel universally relatable. Right. For the very reason that you've had those experiences yourself. Mm-hmm. And you've had guys in your own life like Joe, who either never thought of it again or graciously forgave it or whatever. Right. And so Pip is an everyman in a really mm-hmm. powerful way. And he needs the same reassurance that all every men need that every man, <laughs> all, all us, every man, one of the three of everybody. <laughs> well, I think that's why it's so powerful that it starts when he's such a little kid, because that makes the guiltiness not, it's tied to things that he does when he rejects Joe and stuff like that. But it's also a part of his condition as just a person yeah. because it starts when he's so little. Right. right. Um, With the stealing of the pie and all yeah. some really silly things that he, frankly, wouldn't have been held responsible for because of his youthfulness. Right, right. but it does make him of a nature guilty. Yes. Yeah. And his identity that we keep talking about, he's striving for this gentlemanly identity, and he thinks that's what it should be, but really he sees his identity as the guilty one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important when having the identity conversation because he isn't actually satisfied and he doesn't actually think that he's reached this pinnacle of gentlemanliness uh, yeah. right. he thinks that he's the failure right mm-hmm. that's in, what in he his really heart of hearts his himself. real self-image is the screw-up yeah. yeah that's interesting i think you're right yeah i think that's really true and it's it's at that moment that he screws up uh, most roundly and soundly from his own perspective and he's living with his failure that we see burgeoning maturity mm. yeah 
Mm. Well, to put an end to the Joe, um, to the Joe Orlick home life story, then, um, what finally happens? We've been alluding to it, right? The forgiving of his debts, right? How does that, how does that finally come out? Yeah. Not the forgiving of his debts, the paying off of his debts. How's that come down the pike finally? Well, I'm, I hope I don't get any details out of order here, but he falls tremendously ill and all of his debts come due at the same time while he's tremendously ill. And Joe not only nurses him back to health, but pays his debts and then goes home. Right. Nary a word spoken. Right. <laughs> Woof. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's Dickensian. It is in its heavy handedness, but <laughs> oh, beautiful but it, for that, for all that. I mean, he doesn't want us to miss it. That's right. why he's heavy handed. Right. And how many literary treatments of this kind of grace do we really get in Western literature? I, I mean, I know there, there are many, but Dickens gives us some of the most poignant ones. Mm. And you can't miss them. I mean, remember Little Dorrit with that scene of grace towards the end of the story? Here it is again. It, I think every time we read a Dickensian novel, we come away with at least one of those beautiful, poignant moments where somebody gets what they don't deserve. Yeah. And we go, oh, thank God. Yeah. Yeah, what I love the most about the scene with Joe nursing Pip back to health is it's in Pip's weakness that they're able to go back to that state of his childhood where they're ever the best of friends. Ever the best of friends. And Joe feels perfectly comfortable around him. Mm -hmm. But it's as Pip gains strength in himself again that Joe starts to back away. Yeah. So that relationship only happens when Pip is able to be completely weak. Yes. And that is the reason that this story starts in his childhood. Hmm. I think I was thinking about this the other day coming up where I was teaching a class on setting and we were talking about the setting of time and how long things take in the lives of the characters. Do you know how hard it is to find a really good novel that takes more than a summer of the characters' lives or a year mm -hmm. of the character that takes an entire sweep of a character's life, it's not as common as you might think. One mm. would think of David Copperfield. One would think of Dickens, <laughs> yes. Maybe <laughs> not as successful as this one. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> not. Don't do that. No, they don't. They very they very they very pointedly don't. Do but <laughs> what I was saying is that in this particular case, the fact that Pip is a child at the beginning and in his sickness is a child at the end mm -hmm. provides a really nice little circular motion there to the yeah. to his development i love what you just said well, That's really the, one of the things i think that does for us is allows us to read it over and over again at different stages of our lives and have it hit you a different way every time mm -hmm. when i read it as a kid um i identified with pip in a whole different way than i do now mm -hmm. and now i identify him i identify with him in this particular way i'm looking around at my adult life and, and paying my bills and having a mortgage and being married and doing all of these sorts of things and looking around and going oh, i don't feel like a grown-up <laughs> except and and starting to come to terms with the idea that maybe you don't ever really feel like a grown-up right. and maybe furthermore relationships of the sort that actually sustain you in your adult life come down to everyone acknowledging that they feel overmatched and insufficient and doing it out loud together yeah. and that that's what being a grown up is that all of us were Pip at one point, assuming that we would grow out of whatever it is that we were struggling with and that his maturity comes when he realizes that isn't probably going to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we consider Joe to be mature from the very beginning is because he's never lost that right. childish self image of, uh, I'm not the kind that I have sorts. With I have gentlemen. thick boots and yeah. Yeah. And rough hands. Yeah. Speaking of gentlemen, what do you think the story um, suggests as a definition for the gentleman? What's a gentleman according to the story? I wonder if, um, 
I would say, I think the easy answer to the question is a gentleman's not what you think. A gentleman is a guy that acts like Joe Gargery instead of a guy that acts like, you know, Pip and Herbert in their, the days of their ignorance. <laughs> yeah, I see this coming. <laughs> but, I, but I think what Dickens might be suggesting is the concept of gentleman is not very useful. I would, that, uh, yeah. No? You don't agree? No, keep going. Finish well, your thought, say, and then I want to say something. <laughs> I, I guess maybe what I would say, would say is that he's using the term gentleman as a term that everybody agrees of the uh, agrees about the definition of and saying that ought not to be what we strive for as people. Mm-hmm. We should strive for common blacksmithhood instead, whatever term you use. Yeah. Okay, but do you think the point is that we have to be like Joe? Well, that's up for that's up for <laughs> conversation. I like the tone of your voice, though. I want to hear what you're going to say next. I, we, yeah, Emily and I might end up on opposite divides of this. Um, what I was I was going to put it a little bit more harshly than you did even just now towards Dickens, actually, because in uh, having read a handful of the, of his uh, or a couple at least of his other novels, um, I think he's more heavy-handed than not most of the time. And so that's fair. I'm tempted to look at this and say that what Dickens is actually doing and in sort of by accident, he talks about a lot of really beautiful human things because he's perceptive and in painting a character, he gets it right. But maybe on a thematic level, what he was trying to say is a gentleman is about having money and no one should have money because gentlemen are stupid. (laughs) And and that's kind of what he's saying is he, he doesn't, he's not trying to say a gentleman is defined by all of these heroic character traits. He's trying to say common people have these traits. Gentlemen don't screw gentlemen. (laughs) I don't know about that, but I I do see conflict in himself at the end of the story. Uh, Dickens, I mean, uh, as just the way he set it up because Pip is the protagonist, he's the one that we identify with. And it turns out that what Pip really needs is a Joe. Mm-hmm. And it's not that he becomes Joe. Right. Like he doesn't have the ability to become Joe. It's just that there's a Joe in his life and that is what makes him okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a lucky man for and it. And so that's going on on the one hand and we should talk about that more. But then on the other hand, I see Dickens being like, well, Joe is the one who did well. Joe is going to get to marry Biddy because he's the gentleman here and he is who succeeds. And I mean, and then we'll have to talk about the ending and the way that he was grumpy about the ending and his editor made him change it. But I just see Dickens as like just fighting with himself over this because I think that he identifies personally with Pip, but he struggles because he thinks that he should be Joe. Yes. Interesting. I think that's, I think that, that is, is interesting. A, a serious intellectual version of what I was trying to say just now. I just went for the laugh instead. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. I had never thought of that before, but there's something to that. What do you think, Missy? I think I agree. I think I agree with that. I, I mean, underneath the question, what is a gentleman? It's what is a man? Uh-huh. Right? What is it? What is a good man? Isn't that what we mean when we say gentleman? Right. And I feel like he's trying to draw his readers back to that question the gentleman okay if a gentleman is anything he ought to be a good man and what does it right. mean to be a good man and that kind of um transcends economic barriers of course Except, and this is where what i was saying a second ago might differ from you just slightly is that um i think he it's clear across his whole system of works that he's really concerned with those economic barriers and oh, their absolutely. impacts on on men mm-hmm. and so I don't think we can really say he's trying to say, let's talk about the transcendent. I think he really might be pot-shotting at riches and society and wealth and all of that as a, as something that perverts. Well, it's not like he's never done it before in other places. Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah. so so you may, there's, there's evidence for your conclusion. But the other thing I think that's um, almost impossible to ignore is how honest he is. I mean, um, Dickens, 
Dickens sounds like himself in all of his... It's very uniform in terms of the tone across yeah. the whole thing. I think it's safe to say that our narrator, Pip, is in a lot of ways Dickens himself talking about the world and the way he sees it. And we can't call it autobiography by any means, but he would have to be tremendously honest about his own struggles to write a character that feeling, I yeah, think. Yeah, and that, that evocative and that easy to relate to. Yeah. He certainly associates um, goodness with humility. Yeah. yeah, I don't think he's wrong about that. Of, of personhood, but of origins and of means, you know, mm-hmm. um, the humble means and the thrift that it that it um, necessitates, mm-hmm. and the reality, um, the practicality, all of that, all of those things are things that he admires and and considers really significant yeah. in goodness. Yeah, I think this idea that um, Emily brought up a minute ago about. On the one hand, having a Joe in your life is greatly to be desired, but it doesn't mean that everybody has to be Joe. Or I don't know if anyone can be Joe, honestly. Right. I think everyone is supposed to identify with Pip. Right. And what and and then so what is everyone supposed to do? What is the reader supposed to do to just to carry this idea out and see its implications? What's the reader supposed to do when he sees Joe? How is he supposed to respond, react, embrace that character? Oh man, that is a great question. The way that we do when we're reading. And, and what is that? Well, like what Ian said, I'm going to try to talk about this without crying. Right. right. Because if we're all supposed to identify with Pip, we're all in need of a Joe. Uh-huh. Um, we all need someone who loves us as we are and not as we should be. And that's what Joe does for Pip. That's well, and so Dickens funny. symbolically is kind of heavy handed with this because Joe is Pip's adopted father. Mm-hmm. It kind of has some spiritual implications. It has some pretty obvious Christological <laughs> pretty, pretty, implications, yeah. doesn't it? He's Jesus, okay? <laughs> but actually, I think he kind of is. I think, yeah, I don't know. I He's don't think Dickens figure. is moralizing as much in this one as no, he has I, in yeah, other I agree with stories. That. I agree with that for sure. Yeah, I, but I if he's not moralizing, then what, what would you say he's doing instead? I think he's pointing out a truth that everyone is guilty mm-hmm. and needs a Joe to forgive them. Mm-hmm. But, but Joe's father. Mm-hmm. And maybe this just means I'm more arrogant than all the all the rest of you. I, I do. I do identify with Pip. Let's just call that a given. <laughs> My response was to um, want to. Pro- I wanted to protect Joe through the whole story. I wanted to project Joe from getting his feelings hurt. Oh, from Pip. Yes. I sided with Joe against Pip more than I felt myself identifying with Pip and wanted to, wanted to reach out and console Joe and protect him and make sure he didn't get crushed. Because he was an innocent. Yeah. But by the end of the story, don't we find out that he just isn't really capable of that? I mean, the last thing, when, when Pip comes to repent to them on their wedding day, Joe's response is, I wasn't even sure I had anything to forgive. I, I don't see you as someone right. who needs forgiveness. Right. It's not like Joe was out of his condescension, decided to yeah. not count it against him. He literally <laughs> didn't have him. a jealous yeah. bone in his body. Yeah, he right. didn't count it against him. Right. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Okay, we have to move on. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> um, it, um, I want to talk about the the two publishing, the two versions for a second. But before I do that, I want to recommend on the topic of Dickens and the thematic content that we've been discussing, I want to recommend a movie to all of our listeners called The Man Who Invented Christmas. Oh, I 
saw that last year. That was great. It is wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And I think it's a stout interpretation of Dickens in general, yes. thematically mm-hmm. speaking, and a great, uh, it's very evocative vision of his character yeah, and no, the his way background. That he wants to keep punishing Scrooge, but he just can't do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I see it's that it's wonderful. Don't ru- don't ruin the movie. Don't ruin right, the movie. Okay, you I'm guys sorry. go watch it. Um, <laughs> it's fall. Christmas time is right around the corner. Watch the man who invented Christmas. Bring the whole family along. It was clean as a whistle, and it's just absolutely wonderful. It's an enthralling ride. But you're right. The it, the emphasis that 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 movie takes out of Dickens and continues to prod is the emphasis, the, the idea of either judgment or forgiveness, mm-hmm. either grace yeah. or damnation. It comes up over and over again. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Yeah, I loved that movie too. That was oh, great. so good. Ugh. But you were going to bring up the. I was. I was going to bring up two up. endings. Well, and um, was it? Did you guys actually make me read the original ending first? I think you did when I was a kid. I don't think you can. No. It sounds like something you would do. It's hard to find. I don't think you can. We had this book last year, and our edition had both endings oh, printed. Okay. Yeah, I so think Mom made me read, read the old one first. That might have been inadvertent. <laughs> I might have just had a copy with the old version. I don't remember. Either way, um, and it, for those of our listeners who don't know, because I assume you read the the widely published version now and the yes. audio recording, right? I could I could see no shadow of parting from her. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's not how the original ends. Mm-mm. No. In the original, he and Estella are separated, and that's that. Yes, and that there was hue and cry from his readership to the point that his editor said, "You got to do something about this." Well, that's the way I read it. I think in the Penguin edition, it talks about. I don't know if it got to the readers, or at least it didn't have very long to, because it was the editor who approached him and and said, "This doesn't jive with the rest of the story." I know it. I know it was published um, when it came out in the magazine. Edition in the serials, but okay, I, so I think by the time it... they put the full novel together, okay. it, it was already changed. Mm-hmm. And what did they say that it doesn't that it didn't match the rest of the story? Well, yeah, the edit. Well, yeah, I think that's what the editor said it's that it doesn't a, match the tone. Conclusion: It doesn't wrap up the loose ends. It's it's not believable. Everybody, truth is, everybody just wants a little romantic happy ending there. At least the promise of one, right? You know, and it was kind of a downer. So maybe the way that the, it finally ended was Dickens saying, I'll give you the promise of one, but we're not going to actually add a chapter or anything. So I can see no shadow of parting off in the future. Right. Because well, she, he did leave the, the the line in where Estella says, and remain friends apart. Yeah. yeah. Right. What The thing I think is really interesting about that whole um, scenario is that it gives us maybe some insight about what Dickens was trying to write about and what he wasn't. Um, I'm not sure that he was trying to write about the nature of romantic love. He uses it and it's opposite to make a point about Pip and being a man. But I think, agreed. I think the focus of his novel was Pip and Joe. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And to end it with a romantic fling of some kind would have totally undermined his thematic, uh, aims. Right. It's a distraction in some ways. I agree with that. I think the whole Estella section of the story is a catalyst to, to make Pip um, able to see himself. It's a catalyst yeah. to destroy his his misapprehensions and that sort of thing. Well, not just his misapprehensions, but, um, but well, may, I don't mean not those, but I mean more specifically his vision of himself as a, um, as some sort of knight in shining army. Right. Uh, armor. Right. <laughs> Speaking is tough today. <laughs> <laughs> don't you Anyways. have to... <laughs> Agree with the publisher a little bit, though, about the the need for a second ending. Wholeheartedly. I mean, I think that the final 
the final lines that he wrote sum up the story pretty well and put a fine point on the kind of man that he's become. Because, mm. um, you know, he's learned about what it really is to be a good man. He's seen that he is not a good man, or at least he has not been a good man. Mm-hmm. He's valued the wrong things and strived for them himself and um, has made a mess everywhere he's gone. Yeah. And the tail end of the novel is all about him getting the scales ripped off his eyes again and again and again in every circumstance until finally there's humility, there's um, self-realization, uh, that's the wrong word, not self-realization, but he sees himself clearly, self-recognition, I guess mm-hmm. that's what I mean to say. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's a, uh, like a sturdy reality in mm. the final scene with Estella that I think punctuates that with an exclamation point. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's an exclamation point because it's been punctuated already in the Magwitch, the conclusion of the Magwitch yes. story yes. where, um, where Pip completes the turn from, Oh no, I don't want anything to do with this guy. When I realize where the source of my expectations and the fact that it's destroyed my whole imaginary life to, I will never leave his side. To I will never leave her side. And remember, yeah, she's exactly. his daughter, right? Yeah. And so you can see him kind of becoming Joe in all of this because she has wronged him, the innocent, in the same way that he wronged Joe, mm. the innocent. Yeah. Mm. And in the end, he looks at her and, and she says, um, what, is, what is the line you just and quoted? And we shall remain friends we apart. Shall rem- remain friends apart. Like, well, I certainly don't deserve a relationship with you after all that I've done. And mm-hmm. he can see no shadow of parting between them. It's ever the, like, best yeah, friends, ever the best of friends, Estella. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, like that. I hadn't thought about that. I That's like a that very a cool lot. Parallel. I mean, it does kind of answer the question: Has Pip matured? If this is a coming of oh, age man. story, the answer is yes. He has matured. Yeah. He's well, not a just that, but if it had ended with him not being with Estella, it is a little bit like. Joe forgives him, but he doesn't get to lead a happy life because his his guilt is going to be thrown on his head and he can't escape his sins Mm -hmm. and he is guilty. Whereas if there's a chance of that being redeemed, if he is going to find happiness through the suffering, then there's hope for Mm -hmm. the sinner. Right. For both of them. Right. Yeah, for both of them. You know, we're watching Estella come of age through this as well. And she's, you know, in many ways, much like Pip, she's a parallel character. Both of them grew up in an adoption type of a situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pip was in a better situation than she was, but both of them throughout the course of the story are preyed upon in one way or another and do wrong to the people around them, confuse things. And you can see them both coming of age. Interesting. They belong together. Yeah. Yeah. That idea that there's hope at the end and that that actually does um, line up with the thrust of the rest of the story is encouraging to me because it makes the ending seem less like it just a pasted on mm-hmm. thing to satisfy the editor and more like a coherent uh, ending to a story that when you think about it for a minute, it is about hope for the future. Yeah. It is about mm-hmm. the fact that there's growing up that we can do and there is self-realization or self-recognition that we can have. And the results of those are of those things maybe is hope. Well, and out of death can be born life. Yeah. You don't have to avoid death. Right. 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 It reminds me of the book of Job. Most things do. (laughs) Job gets his stuff back in the end. Interesting. Are there elements of the final section of the story that we still want to talk about? Oh, actually, I think that was, that was really satisfying to me. I've always thought about that ending as kind of pasted on. Yeah. But seeing that, um, 
what else are editors for, right? I mean, to, to read right. to read a work that you're too close to as an author and right. say, that's not how it ends. I mean, that, that's kind of what their whole job is, isn't right. it? It makes Let sense me to help me. You. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes sense to me that Dickens would need one of those. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's interesting to see that he had the same war going on in his own soul because I think that's what the two different endings yeah. kind of show. Yeah, he, one he of the two of endings is it. kind of obsessive <laughs> about justice, isn't it? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely as a um, as a writer and commenter on mid-19th century England, he was definitely had a judgmental streak. I mean, I think we were recently talking in another place about one of his other novels. and Hard times. Ha- yeah, hard times, and th- thinking maybe it was a little on the judgmental side. But and I don't how? get that. I think it's well um, balanced in Great Expectations with... A heavy dose of grace and mercy and the life that comes from death. Yeah. And humor. So what's next? Well we're done with our big novel. We oh, are done it, with our big, big reveal novel. time for the now next. it's time for the big reveal. We are going to in the next Drop, wait, 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 hold on. There needs to be some pomp and some circumstance here. Everyone listening, drum on your desk or on your steering wheel <laughs> or on your laundry basket or you whatever it is that you're doing. Drum for a second. And okay, go. It's been a long time. Yeah. It's been almost a year, hasn't it? It's it, When was the first great I don't remember, episode? but it's been going uh, a couple of chapters a week for long time. Through 60 chapters, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we are um we have done for the time being our long um serious English novel and we are now going to turn our attention in Radio Read Along to something lighter. We are going to do Agatha Christie. Oh, as a group and we will begin immediately with and well not, maybe not immediately but as soon as we fire up radio read along again we will be uh, reading together the mysterious affair at styles the 1920 i think it's 1920 agatha christie novel the first agatha christie novel to feature, feature belgian wonderkind hercule poirot <laughs> oh bring that's it so on but of course we're gonna we're hot to take a break because we have to build up the suspense that's so. right that's right. So well, it's we coming. want everyone to bask, bask, wallow around a little in the ending of Great Expectations. It's a great ride. Thank you all for listening. It's been a pleasure, as always, joining you on the airways for a discussion of the great books. Uh, for the Center for Lit Crew, this is Adam Andrews signing off and encouraging you to uh, go to the website, pelicansociety.com or centerforlit.com to see what else we have going on uh, for readers, teachers, and people of all shapes and sizes. Until we meet again, my friends, happy reading. Happy Happy reading. reading. Shapes and sizes.